Well, welcome back to another episode of the Boom Basscast with the one and only Alexander Hawk and the great Matthew Fisher. And uh, today, hmm, hello, hello. That was a little hello. delay there. Hello. But anyway, yeah. Um, today is a great day. We get a chance to interview a friend of mine, uh, Mr. Greg Talley. Now. I met him last year, I think it was November, when I went to Puerto Rico to shoot a film called Bermuda Island uh, for the Mahal Brothers. And uh, he played a character, Midnight. Very fun character. Greg is a great personality. Uh, great thing about him is that uh, he's an up-and-coming you know, uh, force to be reckoned with. Uh, he acts, he produces, he writes... He's, he's a very talented guy, a lot of fun to talk to, and uh, an all-around good guy. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and the great thing is, uh, as, as I always say on the show, that we like promoting uh, people in the independent community. We love talking to them about their experiences. And, of course, a lot of the interviews we have focus on people's past and and how they get into the industry and, and, and their love and passion for the art. And this is going to definitely be an episode where we focus on that. And also, you know, see what he might have planned for the future and uh, see where things go from. You know, Greg was really cool. This is the first time I got a chance to meet Greg. You know what I mean? Briefly before the show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I thought it was real cool. I think that... um you know, he's right in our group. Like, he's someone I feel like we'd hang out with uh, if he was living over here in Massachusetts. You know what I mean? I think we kind of had the same, a little bit of the same come up influences. You know, I know that he was raised in front of the telly, like myself. You know what I mean? Um, big fan of, you know, spoofs, probably the Naked Gun. You know, we're talking Mad Magazine, Crack Magazine. You know what I mean? Doing it big. Um, really fun stuff here, you know. Um, Mystery Science Theater 3000, you know what I mean? The reboot that Netflix producer on that film. Very cool. Got to work with our pal James Balsamo on uh, the sequel to a film that these two gentlemen right here on screen were a part of. I think we were, did we both associate produce that and appear in it? Or? I, I believe so. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. It once blood. Uh, both uh, Matt and myself were a part of that. And I'm and, really you know, for the details. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, the great uh, James Balsamo uh, wrote and, and created it, and uh, yeah, and uh, Greg has done a lot of stuff with James. Wow, um, he's done a lot of stuff with Mahal's. He's 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 done radio shows, which you know I know a lot of people might be like, well, that's kind of like an old timey, you know, old fashioned kind of thing. But if you look at it, I mean, what are podcasts? Podcasts are pretty much. Radio on the computer. Yeah. And, and the thing is, honestly, a lot of, you know, stuff that you would say is, oh, that's that's old-timey stuff. That's from a bygone era. A lot of it's coming back, baby. A lot of it's coming back. Damn Dirty Driving. Uh, I was listening to it on Apple. Uh, good stuff, you know what I mean? It's a good, they got some discussion on there, but it's a lot of these, like, spoofy commercials, skits, um, there's like a fake company, IBS, that's like their, their network that they kind of have fake little commercials for that. And IBS, you know, irritable barrels, 
irritable bowel syndrome, you know, problems with your shitter. Uh, <laughs> so they kind of joke around with that a little bit. You know, this dude's uh, influence, Money Python influences there heavily, you know what I mean? SNL, probably even some uh, SCTV, um, you know what I mean? It just goes on and on. Some, uh, you know, you know, I, I think uh, we didn't really quite get into t- his TV influences that heavy, which would have been interesting. Uh, we didn't really dive into the Naked Gun too heavy, but I feel like this gentleman will be back because uh, he's a good pal. You know, he came in as Alexander Hawk's friend solely, and I like to think he left, uh, you know, a little bit of Matthew Fisher's friend too, you know what I mean? So, oh, come on. everyone, Everyone's got to love Matthew Fisher. If I love him, you got to love him. That's true. That's true. So with that being said, let's welcome Greg Talley to the show. No, what show? The Boombasta Cash Show. Boy, here we are. So, Greg, it's great to have you on the show. Great to be here, Alex. So, um, I gotta ask, um, now, how, uh, when did you really get the, uh, the acting bug? When did you really realize that this was something that you really liked to do? This was, like, a passion for you? Uh, well, the, arguably it happened at birth, uh, family lore goes that I had, uh, my umbilical cord wrapped around my neck, which is a death sentence to a lot of, uh, babies, but mine was thick enough to where it didn't affect me. And the doctor pulled me out and, you know, slapped my, my ass. And there was a stu- a group of medical students observing and they applauded. So I entered the world to applause, and I think it stuck. (laughs) Both, both every, both everyone wanting to strangle me from my umbilical cord on, and my love of applause. Um, But beyond that, um, you know, just just pop culture filtering into my brain. Uh, Everything from all those great old Bugs Bunny cartoons where they would show all the old classic Hollywood stars. Definitely the Muppets were a huge influence and seeing Kermit run that theater. I wanted to be Kermit so bad. Uh, you know, it just I grew up uh, watching a lot of stuff on UHF uh, channel 26 in Houston. And it all just sort of simmered in my head and, and uh, eventually uh, got myself into the high school for the performing and visual arts in Houston and uh, auditioned and, made it into the media department and uh, they merged with the art department at that time. And I didn't want to draw. So uh, I went into theater and uh, ran the school newspaper. So uh, always had a hand in both uh, media and acting. That's cool. Yeah. I read you, you kind of, you were uh, born and bred in the entertainment. You were plopped down in front of the TV like much of all of us, you know what I mean, and soaked it all up there. I am sitting at a Starbucks in Edwards, Colorado, and they're rolling a garbage can uh, back from the dumpster. So I know you said something really pithy and important, so would you mind repeating that? <laughs> oh, I was talking about just, you know, I read that you were got a uh, – you know, you got your influence a lot from, you know, you, as a kid, you got plopped down in front of the TV like a lot of us have, you know what I mean, here. Um, almost babysat by a TV type scenario and you soak up all that stuff like a sponge, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. It's Gen X, you know, and, and millennials, you know, uh, I wasn't a latchkey kid per se, but, you know, I remember being super little and 
mom heating me up some SpaghettiOs and putting a slice of American cheese on top. And I'd oh, yeah. sit there and eat my junk food and, and just take it all in. And there was so much, uh, pop culture that, that celebrates, uh, you know, let's put on a show and hooray for Hollywood. And, you know, there's no business like show business. And, and like, I, I just really, you know, got stars in my eyes, like a lot of us do. And it's like, I want to run away and join the circus. And that's, that's what I call my life these days is running away and uh, joining the circus. And full disclosure, some of those circus performances are with, uh, with, with Alexander, who's literally been the court jester in some of the things we've done <laughs> together. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny um, going with uh, what you said, I mean, uh, how, how you came into, uh, the, uh, the uh, world with the, uh, the applause and the umbilical cord around your neck. Um, I did not have quite the, the visual imagery of that myself, but when I was born, I actually ended up being a blue baby because, uh, the oxygen was cut off because I was not positioned correctly. And, uh, when the doctor finally, you know, got in and popped me out, and as you said, you know, uh, the doctor pinches you to make you uh, cry so you can hear if you got anything in the lungs or anything like that. And my mom said that I, I, I refused to scream, and I just gave him the dirtiest look. And <laughs> I, I think that dirty look has stayed with me all these years. You only scream on camera when the director asks it. Yeah. And that, those dirty looks we're all used to. <laughs> you got to draw from film for your, your inspiration to scream. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, we, we all got, you know, uh, things that happened to us early on. I mean, going back with you and SpaghettiOs, I mean, I'll never forget. I mean, I was um, an 80s baby. So Saturday morning cartoons was like my altar. I mean, that's... And weirdly enough, going with the blue theme, you were all Smurfs. You were Smurfed out, man. <laughs> you sit there with your Smurf Berry Crunch thinking, thank God I dodged that bullet. You know. <laughs> actually, actually, I never... I mean, I watched the Smurfs, but never really got into them. Were you more always... of a snorks guy? You, you seem like you would have, like, eschewed the Smurfs for the knockoff snorks, which were basically Smurfs underwater. It was sort of like... Pre-SpongeBob. Mm, no, no. I, I was always more of like, uh, let's see, uh, He-Man, Ghostbusters, you know, uh, you know, the Gummy Bears. Even Which Ghostbusters? Though, Ghostbusters are real Ghostbusters, Alexander. The real Ghostbusters. Okay. Which one had the gorilla? I can't keep them that straight. That was regular Ghostbusters. That was uh, regular Ghostbusters. Yeah, actually, that's it's funny because now that one, because they actually got into a dispute with Dan Aykroyd and, and those guys when they were doing the Ghostbusters because earlier in the 70s, I believe, they had a live-action version of it with Larry Storch and I forget the other two people playing the other characters. But then around the time after Dan Aykroyd's Ghostbusters came out, they also did a animation uh, version of that one of the Stary Courts, uh, Stary, um, Larry Storch characters. And, uh, at the same time that the real Ghostbusters came out, that's why 
they will call it the Ghostbusters, and then the uh, the one with Peter Venkman and all that, they will call the real Ghostbusters to yeah. try to, um, you know, put a little divide between the two of them. And thank you for coming to Alexander's TED Talk on Ghostbusters versus real Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> for all it you was- kids at home who don't care about any of this, we're old. <clears throat> well, it's funny because I had a friend that was like all all into the different Ghostbusters, and and you know he was like, okay, so so I I had to go through a TED talk with him. Now you got to go through a TED talk with me. On the oh no! And did you? Uh, I, I gotta ask. Did did you guys uh, like have a sharks and jets like jazz off throwdown over like which who liked which Ghostbusters show? Like just started doing jazz hands and and uh, you know <laughs> if you can't fight by gang choreography, what can you do? I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I mean it's it's funny because you know. He uh, he was all into Larry Storch. He was a huge fan, and he was like, you know, I like the Dan Aykroyd one, but you know, that's the real Ghostbusters. This is, you know, just just a knockoff. So I'm like, oh. and then you started snapping like this, like the Sharks and the Jets, and then you know the Jazz Hands came out, and it and it was on. It yeah. was on. Spirit fingers. Spirit fingers. Uh oh. In all fairness, it was kind of a rip on it, wasn't it? Was weren't they ghost hunters too? Wasn't it the same thing? Well, I mean, the thing was with the uh, the Ghostbusters uh, with Larry Storch, that was more of completely. Yeah, they were ghost hunters. You had two guys, and one was a gorilla. Okay, yeah. they don't explain why, but. Uh, you know, and it was totally made for just campy laughs. I mean, there was no real, like, overarching story or anything really tying it together. Yeah. And then, of course, Dan Aykroyd, you know, came up with his idea of the Ghostbusters. I mean, I think when he did that, he didn't at first know about the original, I don't think. Mm-hmm. And then when he started getting it uh, together... He found out about the other one, and then there was a point where they actually shot different scenes using the name Ghostbusters and, like, Spookbusters or, you know, Ghost Smashers or stuff like that because they didn't know whether they actually had the rights to the name. Yeah. You bring up Dan Aykroyd. You know, I know Greg did a lot of, like, spoof commercials and skits and sketches and stuff. Uh How'd you find yourself like uh, doing them? You started doing them at a young age, right? Well, yeah. Uh, the spoof commercials came about. I mean, all my comedic heroes, you know, from from the original cast of Saturday Night Live uh, to 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 basically Mel Brooks and definitely Mad Magazine and Cracked Magazine back before it was a hipster website. Right. Uh, you know, when when it was like uh, Sylvester P. Smythe, who was the Alfred E. Newman knockoff. I mean, but but in those days, it, it was it was all movie parodies and commercial parodies, and so it was like I want in on that. I want to I want to write spooch, uh, spoof sketch uh, uh, comedy, and uh, we had at the performing visual arts high school I went to. Uh, it's it's Beyonce's alma mater, although she was there much 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 later than I was. Uh, you know, we had a film festival. And my freshman year, uh, a couple of people who I'm actually still working with, uh, we 
did a whole bunch of serious or silly uh, spoof commercials and submitted them. One was a Kool-Aid commercial set in Jonestown. Uh, there used to be a um, there used to be uh, an American Express commercial series in the 60s and 70s and early 80s with Carl Malden, where he says, do you know me? You know, and so I did one with my buddy uh, Daniel Vincent Bigelow, uh, where we dressed him up as Jesus Christ because he had long hair and did. Uh, do you know me? You know, in a church you know, shilling American Express. So we, we had great fun with that. And, uh, you know, Bigelow was one of my oldest friends. Uh, and, uh, you know, we both went our separate ways. And one of the few good things I can say about Facebook is that we found each other, you know, about a 12 years ago uh, or around that time. And he helped me design my dinosaur hotel, and he also became a key member of the Damn Dirty Drive-In. Uh, Dan was a veteran of Metalocalypse and designed a lot of the show props and looks for uh, Titmouse for that show and, you know, lived out in Silver Lake in L.A. and was thoroughly an industry guy. And I pulled him in on my madness, and we uh, got back to the spoof commercials uh, when we launched the what was the Revival League, uh, became the Damn Dirty Drive-In. And... Um, you know, started doing all of these sketches and spoofs. Uh, you know, we started out doing, you know, most people spiral in uh, to uh, sketch comedy, uh, doing audio plays, but doing some variant on War of the Worlds. And we were no different. We knew we wanted to do one. And we went all in and parodied, you know, both the 1898 H.G. Uh, Wells novel and the 1938 or 39 uh, Orson Welles um, radio show and the 50s one because uh, we had Dr. Clayton Forrester from the, the 50s version of War of the Worlds, which Mystery Science Theater uh, definitely grabbed that name and made it, you know, one of the, the mad scientists on that show. Yeah. But um Anyway, we, we started out with War of the Worlds. We did all of our own spoof commercials for like H.G. Wells Baby Whiskey and, you know, which is whiskey for babies and, uh, <laughs> and had all sorts of just silly interstitials. Uh, and all of our radio plays were set around a fictional network of the independent broadcasting system, yeah. or IBS, because we just wanted to like, you know, wish people happy holidays or whatever from IBS. And, um, you know, every last one of our radio plays has some kind of IBS connection. So um, we carried that idea further in that uh, our next play, uh, Soylent Scrooge or Christmas is Made of People, was a cannibalistic retelling of, um, of a Christmas carol. And we thought, well, what if we did radio commercials for the Victorian era? Well, it was pre-Marconi, pre-radio. We don't care. We're going to do it as if radio's always been around. Like there was the invention of fire and writing and radio and <laughs> drive time radio ads. And and I, we just carried that forward. We we did a uh, we we did uh, Elizabethan radio commercials with like a Roanoke recruitment ad, uh, you know, and uh, just. We had one where it was a uh, a wrestling uh, 
Mania, but it was all of the Elizabethan playwrights, you know, like Billy Shakes, you know, and it was like Sunday or Saturday, 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 because Sunday be the Lord's day, you know, and, and, and just having great fun, having all of the, you know, deep, deep cuts and probably five people got our history nerd jokes, you know, but we, we didn't care. Uh, one of the most ubiquitous things that we did, and actually what got me into SAG is we did a, a, a mashup of Edgar Allan Poe and the Peanuts uh, of Eddie Poe, and we've done four of those, and it just became uh, a, sort of a recurring franchise. And I'm Eddie Poe, uh, and I am the cartoon creation of gothic uh, cartoonist Edgar Allan Poe, and he drew the Poenuts. And so we, we did all of the specials, but through the lens of Edgar Allan Poe, um, where we did, uh, we did, it's a telltale Valentine, Eddie Poe. Uh, it's the great spaghetti squash, Eddie Poe, which was fall from the house of Usher. Uh, during the pandemic, we did, it's the mask of the polychrome death, uh, Eddie Poe, which, you know, it was the chroma virus and everybody was, you know, taking Tide Pods to not, you know, get sick. And then we did, uh, uh, it's uh, a mystery trip to the Rue Morgue, Eddie Poe. And uh, the commercials weren't in all of them, but they were definitely in the first one. And we said it during the 70s. Uh, during, uh, we did we did an all rabbit set of commercials, which was insane. Because we uh, did an Easter play called uh, Do uh, Rabbit's Dream of Electric Cheeps, <laughs> which was uh, imagining a, a world of, of Blade Runner through a planet of Ephrafa where everybody was a Easter bunny and the Rabblicants were chocolate bunnies. And um, so an entire set of rabbit, th- every rabbit joke on the planet got worked into those commercials, but, and, and on and on and on. I mean, we, we, we just you know, eventually phased out most of those spoof commercials and focused more on the radio place because we were, like padding our run times to three plus hours. Uh, but uh, we just, it was like we were having as much fun with the commercials as we were. And I'm like, people aren't going to finish this at the end, but we're having fun. You know, let's just serve everybody a Dagwood sandwich of, of uh, silliness. And um, yeah, but they're still out there. They're on iTunes, they're on SoundCloud. Uh, most places where podcasts can be consumed. Uh, you can I, listen to, I listen to some of them on Apple Podcasts. They're really funny. Oh yeah, which ones did you listen to? I listened to um, the the latest two that uh, were up there. Oh, uh, was it? It was um, one of them was like it was mainly uh, a lot of commercials. One of them was ma- mostly commer like the the, the 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 spoof commercials and stuff like that, which was a lot of fun. And uh, the other one was a talking one, and I'm trying to think of the, the names of them. I don't have the names in my mind, but I did listen to the, the last two. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah we we have a we had a lot of fun, uh, and 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 th- we did it for four years. I mean, we did yeah. it from twenty. We we started the podcast in uh, twenty sixteen when I became a, a sponsor and helped bring back Mystery Science Theater. So I was on there as a, a sponsor and and an executive producer on the first season of Netflix and. Then we continued on uh, just as a long-form interview podcast like this um, and, and did 200 episodes of that. And then uh, because no one told us we couldn't or 
maybe they did and we didn't listen. We uh, did, if you count, I mean, it depends on the math of how you count. But because a lot of our stuff became two-parters so people could make it a little more easily digestible. But we produced, you know, three-hour radio plays that we would divide into an hour to 90 minutes, part one and part two. But if you count each one of those parts as basically a feature-length movie, I think we produced somewhere between 14 and 16 uh, feature-length uh, productions plus spoof commercials in about three years. It was a, a crazy uh, prolific uh, output. and um, But we did that from 2015 on the podcast, 2017 with the radio plays till uh, really uh, it was, uh, I believe the last one aired uh, early 2021. So, I mean, we just kept cranking. Yeah. Nice. Um, one thing I noticed, and, and um, I see that uh, you were part of uh, Manners Returns. Now, that was the uh, sequel to the Manners Hands of Fate. Yes. Right? And and I, I joined as a podcast stunt uh, because they were trying to raise money. Uh, and I wanted to interview uh, Jackie Naaman Jones, uh, who... Uh, you know, was the little, was Debbie, little Debbie. Yeah. She was a snack cake, uh, on, uh, the original Manos Returns and her father, Tom Naiman was the master and their dog Shanka was in it. And like all, I think all of her dogs since have been named Shanka, but, um, I joined, uh, to interview her and, uh, the director and the first AD, uh, because, uh, Tony Atomic was the director because that was a perk, and I was like, I'm going to do this. And the uh, perk was uh, uh, a Manos cure. It was get a pedicure and a manicure with them. And I said, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do it uh, while interviewing all three of them. Uh, so, like, that was, the, you know, I, I, I like to think I'm the real hero here. You know, sure, you can embed with, you know, military in a war zone, but I sat there and let my toesies bubble and, you know, got my nails painted, and I let them pick out the color, and uh, they picked out the shockingly hottest pink uh, <laughs> for my toes that they could. And I was like, oh, you can't do that. I'm going to be in a scene later. It, it'll be uh, continuity. And they're like, you're wearing shoes, Greg. Pony up. <laughs> so uh, I had what I called my whore toes for, uh, you know, uh, about a month and a half before they finally chipped off. But um, so anyway, we did the interview and then uh, I played the well-dressed man in the Mano sequel. And I was a uh, psychic sexual slave to, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the lead actress from the original Mano's um, Hands of Fate. And uh, the son of the sheriff was in on that. And um, we actually actually uh you know have gone on and made the the sheriff and i have have gone on and made three movies together since and his sheriff's deputy and i made another movie and jackie and i made another movie so it sort of like became film family but um when we wrapped and had our rap party uh tom Naiman, the master was not doing so hot and it was about four to six months before he, he passed on to his great reward. 
And we went to a bakery in this uh, town, and it was also the same weekend that my wife and I were consciously uncoupling and divorcing. And uh, so uh, and we were we took the kids, and we were kind of modeling for the kids like the right behavior. So it was this weird, bittersweet time of starting to get in the movie business, winding up a 20-year relationship. And Jackie sat me down with her father. And what a lot of people may not realize is that Manos Return was a love letter to her father. And it, the sequel was done to reconnect with the master, with her dad, with Tom. And I had a beautiful hour to two hour conversation with Tom, this lion in winter. And he was a little sad and little introspective. And he was like, I don't know if anything I did mattered. And I, I like had to tell him, are you, are you kidding? I said, people will be talking about Manos 50 years from now. You made it 50 years ago. We're still talking about it. You have had an enormous impact on so many people's lives and uh, this has entered the, the, the cultural zeitgeist, you know, because of Mystery Science Theater and Riff Tracks. And I said, you are beloved. And this is one of it's considered often the number one film that they ever riffed on Mystery Science Theater. And you're a legend. And like he perked up. And it, and even if people had told him before, it was like the right things to say at that moment. And we just had this beautiful conversation of you know, life and a life well lived and what does it mean to have an impact and to leave a legacy. And um, yeah, so dinner with the master, that's, that's where uh, that came from with, with Manos Returns. And, and I played a sexual psychic slave. <laughs> and that alone is well worth it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and my whore toes. Yeah. <laughs> so around like 2019, 18, around that era, uh, when you were in Glendale? I was. Uh, divorce divorce wrapped up, and, you know, I had been laying the groundwork uh, to go out to Hollywood since about 2012, 2013, when I opened my dinosaur hotel. Um, you know, we had Craig Plestis, who went on to do The Masked Singer and is now the biggest reality uh, TV producer, uh maybe I know North America, but maybe even the world. Um, he was pitching a show surrounding the dinosaur hotel at that time. And we made a sizzle reel and it uh, was shot to about a dozen networks, but I met some great people off of that project and that sort of between that and mystery science theater. And then our long form interview podcast, we slowly and surely were kicking in more and more and more doors. And, and to the point where, you know, we had, people like Dana Gould appearing on our uh, show uh, for free and acting in it, or Kirk Thatcher, who is now in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and uh, just appeared in Night of the Werewolf as one of the monster hunters and uh, is famously the punk on the bus in uh, uh, Star Trek Four and Picard. So uh, it, it, it went to some wonderfully strange places. But when I moved out to Glendale, uh, I, you know, was, was, uh, near, uh, you know, I had like the Armenian mafia on, uh, one side behind me and a cult on the other side behind me and, uh, had, uh, had, uh, Marshall Todd 
as a neighbor and he's the uh, uh, chief writer behind uh, Barbershop and Woke on yeah. Hulu. And, uh, and, you know, had a, mo- he had a family member who was in a motorcycle gang that, or excuse me, club, club. I have to say the right parlance. <laughs> motorcycle club. And that, that guy had pledged to support us. So between the gang, the mafia and the club, we were very well protected in Glendale. Never felt safer than when I lived in LA. And, uh, no one was going to mess with us, but we were living about 15, 20 minutes from a Hollywood sign, you know, a drive from, uh, Griffith park and went out there and just started trying stuff. I tried stand up, um, you know, and then decided I was going to start, you know, I, I went to, uh, a, a very popular horror speakeasy at the time called rated R speakeasy. And I, Bumped into a bunch of people, and I ran into Kevin Caliber Thompson, and they were uh, gearing up to raise uh, money for 16 Bits, uh, another horror movie, uh, and, like, supported them on the spot, pulled out my phone, helped them out, and decided a light bulb went off, and I decided I'm going into indie movies. I'm going to just go all in. And so with, with a little break, off during the pandemic and, you know, TV appearance here or there, uh, you know, through conventional methods, I threw myself into indie movies and I've made about two dozen movies since, you know, both features and shorts, uh, a lot of it horror, you know, that's where I met Alexander was doing horror movies. Cause we're, we're both uh, heavily embedded with Mahal empire. We're both Mahalaholics. Self-confessed. <laughs> Um, but, but, but while I was in Glendale, I started, you know, leveling up. I, uh, joined with a phenomenal producer named Teresa Gallagher and she produced, uh, a, a comedy short, uh, with Dan Loria of the Wonder Years and Ray Abruzzo of the Sopranos, uh, called Honey and Clover, a recipe for disaster. And we took that to Cannes, uh, you know, post pandemic. And, uh, she said, I have another project that I'm on that's uh, a uh, drug thriller that's filming down in uh, South Texas along the Mexican border. And I said, sign me up. And that that eventually became Swamp Lion. And again, uh, I was in on that with Michael Ray Escamilla and Bree Blair of SWAT. uh, And, um, you know, David Barrera was on both Honey and Clover uh, and on – on Swamp Lion, and we just had this blast of a time down in uh, the RGV in the Rio Grande Valley between uh, uh, Brownsville on over to McAllen. And I could, you know, there Sarah Palin said she could, you know, see uh, see Russia from her house. I mean, we were literally staring into Mexico across the the old military road. Yeah. Uh, you know, where we were filming and we kind of made a drug thriller while filming a drug thriller or lived it. You know, we met narcos, uh, you know, we had border patrol harass us because we were filming along. Well, apparently it was a major human trafficking route and we didn't know. Um, There was one day we were filming in a burnt out gas station and uh, uh, there was this, uh, drug car that had gotten abandoned. It's like super nice escalate or something that got stolen. And then 
they ran whatever over and then abandoned it because they don't care. And I looked down in the grass and there was like, you know, 60 bucks and 20s, which is pennies (laughs) to them, just lying there in the grass. I picked it up and uh, bought everybody uh, tacos for lunch that day with drug money. So uh, I think converting uh, drug money into tacos is, is, uh, you know, in the right direction. A step in the right direction. Yes, yes, yes. yes. It's, it's making good use of blood money. (laughs) Well, yeah. And so, and so, I, I mean, it's just, you know, the, the people of the RGB were very warm and very inviting. And uh, Swamp Lion is now available video on demand. Um, and um, it's been hitting the European film circuit. But um, definitely watch it. I played Dane. I'm, uh, I'm one of the uh, – uh, I, I, I'm a minor character, you know, uh, more than five and under, you know, line-wise. But – you know, I get to have a great scene with uh, Michael Reyes, give me in, Brie Blair, uh, and uh, where I'm just a just a, the 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 mom or the grandmom's uh, boy toy and a little, <laughs> little bit feckless. And I'm picking up on a theme here, uh, uh, but uh, yeah, it's uh, Glendale spun off into me being kind of literally running away to the circus and bouncing between. Colorado, LA, and constantly being on sets. That's intense to be like around like that cartelly drug stuff, you know. As an oh. actor, was it more inte- was it like more intimidating to be there, or do you find it comforting or helping with the process? Uh, was it comforting to be around narcos? Uh, was that <laughs> in your process. In your process. Play, yeah. play back your own question to yourself. <laughs> no, um, I mean, there there was a, a time where, like, I mean, this was a small production. And I, I joined on uh, and helped out in ways big and small. Not only was I acting, I decided to help with crafty, and I was making coffee because there's no better way, in my opinion, you know, coming from a hospitality background – than to help out with crafty shade water. It just yeah. makes sure people's needs are met. Mm-hmm. And uh, you get to know everyone on a first-name basis. And um, so I, w- I was an executive producer on Swamp Land, but I was also deep in the trenches. And Bree uh, Blair just, uh, like, agreed to turn in one of the cars and drop it off after we were done filming to the person who owned it. So she dropped it off at, like, this neighborhood bar where we filmed a few scenes – and then she's like, well, I got time to kill. No one can pick me up. I'm going to go hang out in this bar. And there were some narcos hanging out in the bar. And she, like, you know, pretty beautiful Hollywood actress walks in. So, of course, they chat her up. Yeah. And, um, like, by the end of it, she's like, "Say, I want to buy your life rights. And, and so, like, I show up and, to pick her up. And I'm clearly in the middle of, like, with some scary dudes and she's like, come meet my buddies. And I'm like, Oh, oh my God. You know, <laughs> like, I think this is great and we need to go. But yeah. you know, they were shaking our, our, our hands and they had stars in their eyes. It's like, Oh my God, it's Hollywood. But uh, you know, that's, that's how the whole movie went was by the end of it. We weren't just, you know, filming about this culture of, uh, running uh, drugs across the border and, and people, you know, we, you couldn't help but get a little enmeshed with it, you know. And and I know I'm telling that story about Bree and making it sound like she was flip about all of this, but no, she went down actually and went to one of the uh, chief missions uh, that 
that helps people who have crossed the border, uh, you know, are in human trafficking situations. Mm. And she volunteered and got to know them. So, I mean, it, it was a, it, it's a whole other world down there. Oh, yeah. And it, scary. And, and I mean, it's like any other city in Texas, like when you're on the McAllen far side of things where it's all like, you know, all the chain restaurants, all the chain, you know, businesses like it's Cracker Barrel and Shell stations and, and all that. And then on the immediate other side, it's Mexico. And so, you know, you could you could go down there on the Texas side of things. And if someone blindfolded you and pulled it off, you go, I don't know, I'm in Dallas or Amarillo or whatever. You wouldn't know. But uh, it's very much right on the border. Human trafficking scare. We did a movie a few years back <clears throat> called The House Across the Street that dealt with human trafficking, you know, and it's like some of the most horrendous stuff. And it's all over here now, too. Like people just, you know, getting taken off the streets. It's crazy. It's like new age horror. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I mean, there, there's a technique that coyotes will often use where they'll like take a huge number of uh, refugees uh, and dump them in a spot so that all of the uh, you know border patrol and supporting network has to go and deal with that and then while it soaks up all the resources of dealing with the humanitarian crisis they run the drugs across so they will deliberately create diversionary tactics toying with human lives so I mean there's there's a lot down there that you know, is, is pretty serious and very despicable. And, uh, you know, you watch your back when you're down there, Yeah. you know, I mean, you don't, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a unseemly underbelly to every American city, but, uh, when you're down in the RGV, you know, right. I, maybe you don't go out at night at a certain time, or at least you go out with a big group of friends. Yeah. And not like a resort, like you're going away to a nice resort in a foreign land, you know what I mean? Well, um, who makes a, who makes a better neighbor, the mafia or a cult? The true question. Uh, well, um, given that, that I'm traceable, they're both wonderful and I love them both. <laughs> who gives better Christmas? Next part? question. <laughs> I, you, you worked with our good pal, Jimmy Balsamo. The great James Balsamo. Yeah, James. He is fantastic. Um, you know, I don't normally. Oh, wow. Car alarm. Are you picking up on that? <laughs> we got the car alarm. We can that's wait great. it out. That's, that's part of the advantage of sitting outside of a Starbucks in Edwards, Colorado, uh, doing an interview. So uh, you get to listen to some guy's car alarm going off while I stall for him to just hit his spot out yeah it, it's fascinating he's doing the slow walk to his car without hitting the fall oh there we go because that's guy. how you do things is you don't hit it from across the parking lot to shut it up you slow walk there and saunter you know that's how we do things in colorado apparently <laughs> uh you know okay back to the question of james basalmo yeah um they were doing a movie, a bunch of my friends were, Bill Aracon uh, and Sherry Davis and Seth Doc Ramone, were doing a movie called Alien Danger. And this is one of the few times where I felt actual FOMO, you know, fear of missing out. 
because they were posting all over social media these crazy costumes, rubber monsters, brightly colored makeup, like purples and green, green faces. And it was so much in my wheelhouse with Mystery Science Theater that I was just – I contacted Bill and I said, who is this guy? What are you doing? And he told me, oh, it's James Basalmo. And so I, uh, I like reached out to him, you know, around uh, Labor Day of 2021. And I was just, I begged him to be on his production. And he said, okay. So uh, I'm, we haven't filmed yet, but I'm supposed to be one of the big bads in Alien Danger 3. Uh, and I joined the franchise in their Christmas special as Diz and uh, Rudy the Brown Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> and um you know and and so uh i'm i'm in the alien danger franchise uh but we have filmed so many things other i'm in slice john hits production with james yeah. uh where i play chad mulligan uh, in uh the the president of the the the, the golf it's a golf based horror movie and i play the yeah, yeah. the uh, head of the um uh, of, of the uh, golf course, like the steering committee, um, you know, we we uh, we went out in January to Vegas and block shot like four movies, and I got in on It Wants Blood too, which is a kaiju fighting movie, and like I didn't know what I was getting into. It was just sort of show up and play a uh, you know pl- I played the uh, question morally questionable. Uh, campaign manager to a uh, uh, Senator Bruno Bastine, which was Bill dressed like Colonel Sanders and, <laughs> um, and, and Bill's Filipino. So it's a, he's the Filipino, Filipino American. So he's a Filipino American Colonel Sanders. It's, it's a good look. I like it. And uh, so I'm playing a, a guy named Judas Jones, you know, a highly trustworthy uh, campaign manager. And uh, like Bill, I mean, sometimes movies, you don't know how they're going to turn out. Bill pulled out all the stops on It Wants Blood too. Uh, it ended up having multiple professional wrestlers in it, a couple of porn stars, but uh, it has Charles Wright. Uh, it has um, D'Lo Brown in it. Uh, Coolio is in it. Weird Al Yankovic is in it. Yeah. And, you know, I'm in the, the middle of all that. And it's, it, it's just, James is wonderful. He has grindhouse sensibilities and, you know, uh, is a trauma veteran and uh, just produces uh, wonderfully silly stuff, all yeah. unscripted. Yeah, his films are a lot of fun. We've been in a part of uh, part of a couple of them ourselves. And uh, do you, uh, did you get a chance to work with uh, Coolio, the late Coolio? I know he just passed away, like what a week ago. Yeah, it, it, I we did uh, work with Coolio. Um, it was uh, ironic because I I was doing a magazine interview and I gave. Uh, an interview that morning about working with Coolio and I had no idea he had passed. So, you know, uh, a, a very sad situation. I, I can't say I was close to the man, but I thoroughly enjoyed working with him as a scene partner. Um, but like we were in uh, a casino in Vegas and uh, play, it was James's birthday and we had come into town to uh, help judge a beauty pageant. And so, and we incorporated the beauty pageant right into It Wants Blood too. It's just like some glad handling that that Senator Bastine is doing. And um, any anyway, the uh, 
uh, we were, it was downtime. We had already filmed for the day, James's birthday. So we're just gambling, you know, hit, hit, hitting the slots and, and all that. We're playing this like ridiculously oversized Raiders slot machine, you know, where, you know, you're just pulling the handle like this, yeah. <laughs> giant, doo -doo -doo -doo, you know, as, as all of the cherries and, and Raiders symbols pull up. And James was winning. I mean, he was doing well. It was like 400, 500 bucks up, you know, he's doing quite well. And then the director of photography, the DP started just like slapping uh, James's arm. And he said, Coolio, it's Coolio, it's Coolio, Coolio just walked by. And so um, like we ran over and, and like James grabbed Coolio on the spot and said, you want to be in a movie? And like, you know, for an undisclosed amount and a release form later, we got Coolio to, to, to appear in it once blood too. And the man was an, an insane. It was uh, not that he was crazy, but the culture he brought with him was crazy. And like he, while we were sort of working out the details, he went over and there was this closed shoe shine booth and he sat in the middle chair of the shoe shine booth like a king. And women just like, it was like Fonzie snapping his fingers. Women just gravitated towards him and sat in the other seats. And they were like giving him his phone number and putting it into his phone. And one of them was like, my husband's parking the car, but you're Coolio. And he was just really? like, what is happening here? Yeah. And, and so. See, that's going to be Greg in a few years. Yeah. So, so, oh yeah, maybe, maybe not. But, um. I, I don't think I could I could rock the the hair the way Coolio did, but um, we uh, ended up like wandering, following him around like an entourage, and he went and uh, went up and talked to his main lady, and then got permission, you know, while, while they were bowling because uh, this place had a bowling alley upstairs, and then we ended up in a high roller suite uh, filming scenes for It Wants Blood too, and um, the. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to reveal too much, but uh, he played Don Lucius, the uh, fight coordinator for the underworld uh, fighting ring of Kaiju. Yeah. And so, like, we improv the whole scene. He was brilliant. And then we rapped, and he's like, hey, I, uh, I, I also – he started auditioning for us a little bit. He's like, I also do voiceover, and I've really wanted to do a show for Adult Swim for years, and they, they won't listen to me. And they – they, uh, there's this uh, thing I want to do called Big Cat, Little Cat. And we're like, well, what's that? And he's like, well, Big Cat, or Little Cat talks like this. And he gets in our faces and he's like, and he's like, Little Cat's kind of fucked up. And he's walking around like this. And he, you know, he starts screaming cat noises in our faces. And then he says, but the only person who can understand Little Cat is Big Cat. And Big Cat says, Little Cat says, suck my balls. So he's <laughs> like in all our faces and we're like, Coolio, you're making us uncomfortable. You know, <laughs> you're scaring us slightly, but you know, Coolio's meowing at us and like, rah, 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 rah. And big cat says, suck our balls, you know? And like, he kind of went into this Isaac Hayes chef voice for, yeah, yeah. for, for big cat. And, uh, and, and then like we took pictures and that was, that was working with Coolio for, it wants blood too, and uh, you know uh, later Weird Al joined the project, and uh, you know there there was a famous beef later resolved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Weird Al Coolio, and maybe that plays into the plot of the movie. You'll just have to watch it and see when it comes out on video and demand. It'll be a real tearjerker if that's the case. That's all I gotta say. Oh well, you know, I mean, I mean, I, this may have been Coolio's last movie. I think it was. It was Blood too, and it, it's a tremendous honor to have been a scene partner with him. And you know, rest in power, Mr. Coolio. You know, but sure. uh, a, a phenomenally fun experience. Uh, you know, working with him. I'm sad. I'm even more sad to hear he's gone because I feel like in a couple of years we would have got that Coolio James Balsamo cartoon. That they were talking oh my about. god, they could have done Big Cat, Little Cat. Yeah. You know, the world needs James. Big Cat, Little Cat. James could have pulled the strings and had that made, for sure. I, I know. We, we, I mean, I, I hope we end up with, with Coolio's Big Cat, Little Cat unleashed upon the universe. You know, the fans <laughs> demand it. True. You know, because we need the world to hear the catchphrase of Little Cat says, suck my balls! <laughs> Just think, you carry the message now. He was telling everybody this, and now yes. he, you're the you guys have to carry that torch now. That's how because it goes. Because if it's not about felines, you know, and and testes, then I don't know what the world is about. I agree with that. I agree. It's good times. Now, good times. Uh, you know, the Mahal brothers. Let's pop into some Mahal brothers. How'd you guys to come into? Come into the know of uh, oh the, the Mahalaholics. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it was it's again history of sort of sneaking in to do things. You know, like I uh, actually had a very rocky start with with Michael Mahal, where we kind of had words, and he blocked me for a year, and that was on Bridge of the Doomed, and you know it, it was sort of one of those things where we we both kind of you know came at it wrong, and. Um, then they were going to do Night of the Tommyknockers. And I was like, son of a bitch. This is such a fun idea. It was a Western monster horror movie, which comes out uh, November 25th. Uh, yeah. The On Demand and Limited Theaters. Uh, and I really wanted to be on Night of the Tommyknockers. Because it sort of had that, what is that, Bone Tomahawk feel about it, you know, of, of, of a Western horror movie. And um, I... I love Westerns. My, my first movie I was ever in was a Western. I was an extra on a tall tale for Disney, uh, audition for the Lone Ranger when it came to the Arnie Hammer, uh, one, uh, when it came through Colorado, didn't make it in. Although Arnie said he could just eat me up. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. All this cannibalism talk is offending you. Let's all talk about Dahmer like the rest of the world. Yeah. Exactly. yeah but any, anyway. But, but uh, he's a cannibal with class. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's all about the lady fingers. It's classic. Yes. But, um, so, um, but, but back to, to that. So, um, I actually kind of Trojan horse snuck my way in to Tommyknockers where I joined with three friends. And they were like, yes, and we have a fourth person they'll be joining in. And uh, so we got in on the movie. And then, like, when Michael was adding people to the cast and crew page, he sort of realized, and then without comment, he added me <laughs> back in. So I was in, baby. I got back into the Mahal stuff. Like and that. now I'm like a veteran Mahalaholic, you know, uh, five projects and going. Uh, I chat with Michael every day. We laugh about it. You know, I mean, one one thing about Michael is he's self-correcting 
and he's not one to hold grudges. And, you know, it, it ended up, you know, it's, it's been a beautiful partnership because we did arena wars, uh, together. And then, um, Bermuda Island, which is out in January where I play a goth guy named midnight. And then, uh, I'm the big bad in their medieval horror, uh, movie, uh, devil's night and was in on camp pleasant lake. And, you know, I, I've, I've just uh, enjoyed working with the, the mall brothers. Cause I mean, they, they bring a lot of delight, uh, and, and sort of childlike, uh, enthusiasm to their projects. Like, you know, I mean, Michael, when he likes something, he likes it. And like on devil's night, it was swampy hot in Texas in June. And Michael would just walk around and hand out ice cream sandwiches. Why? Because he wanted an ice cream sandwich. So if he's <laughs> having an ice cream sandwich, why shouldn't the rest of us have an ice cream sandwich? And that's sort of how Michael approaches life is, is you know, whatever he's enjoying in the moment, he just wants everyone to enjoy it with him. I can appreciate that. I've seen sets where the director would eat in front of – the director or producer would just eat eat when nobody else could eat. I've seen that twice, unfortunately. Yeah. Crazy. Oh yeah. And well, it was not on a Mahal Brothers set. Those guys <laughs> are the best. <laughs> you got to work with one of my favorite actors of all time, uh, Alexander Hawk. Yeah, Alexander what, Hawk. Yes, I yeah. I was the big bad in uh, Devil's Night, uh, and I I was Midnight in Bermuda Island, and uh, Alexander and I worked on on both sets together, and and. Uh, Really enjoyed uh, each other's, and I, I, I've seen um, I've seen the uh, second to last cut of Bermuda Island, and all I can say is that Alexander, um, you know, he he has a great final scene. I'm not going to say <laughs> anything more than that. It's borderline on a, a spoiler, but uh, you know, his, he he has a a wonderful moment in the movie that made me laugh out loud. I like that. Well, what can I say? I I I try to make uh, every every part I do memorable, and I try to go out with a bang. Absolutely, we're very proud. We're very proud of our friend Alex Sober. He's doing oh, good. Thank you. Thank you very much. He's a good comedian, and yeah. he has a good balance of seriousness, occasional anger, and uh, sort of you know old timey borscht belt sticky humor you know and <laughs> and so he can sort of channel his inner jackie mason but also bring the dramatic flair so uh it's always uh fun to watch alex uh, on screen and he's a wonderful scene partner too oh uh, thank you and hopefully we'll get uh do more stuff together uh hopefully some you know bigger scenes longer in-depth monologues of delving uh, into our internal pain. And and fun fact about Alexander, if you need uh, an in-depth discussion uh, detailing the difference between Ghostbusters and real <laughs> Ghostbusters, he's your go-to guy. <laughs> well, that's true. That's true. I mean, it's it's funny. I've been I've been. It, it's with me. I'm either. In in situations, I'm either extremely quiet or extremely, you know, a talkative. Yeah. And you get me onto a a thing that I'm passionate about, something I care about. You can't shut me up. <laughs> uh, many people may not realize this, but anyone who is ever privileged enough to hear Alexander do his karaoke version of the Gambler, <laughs> Ooh. Uh, this should be 
a conversation icebreaker with everybody who knows Alexander. If you ever meet Alexander, start with, so what's up with your version of the gambler? And just make him sing on the spot. I mean, I, I cannot emphasize this so much enough. There, ask Alexander. That is the opening line from now on for every other human being on the planet and anybody else in the solar system. So turn to Alexander and say, tell us. Tell us about your version of the gambler and sing it for us, Alexander. <laughs> we, uh, oh, we, man. I don't think I'm going to ever live that down. <laughs> I hope not. It's beautiful. I'm you met up as a bastard. It's great. <laughs> I'm jealous. I've never heard this. I, well, we, we haven't gotten out karaoke. Uh, I mean, heck, honestly, um, on Devil's Night, that might have been my second time ever doing karaoke. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've, I've done some crazy karaoke. I've, like, even done naked karaoke at a nudist colony before. There you go. Uh, just, just, just for the bravery side of things. You know, it, it was to make sure I was comfortable in front of a crowd. And, you know, you know how they say uh, picture your audience naked? I had no problem with that. So, you know, um, but it was, you know, I got up and my, my opener was nine to five. It still is. That's my karaoke opener is nine to five. And then we, we got up, uh, my friends and I, and, uh, and, and did, uh, did Love Shack because that's what you do. Uh, it, it, it might sound super sexy and hot, but basically it was a retirement community and it was uh, 60 and up. So basically it was hanging around with a bunch of naked grandmas and grandpas uh, and, um, you know, learning to, to not body shame. And just, you know, after a while, she's like, eh, OK, whatever, you know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Alexander singing the gambler please everyone i beg you (laughs) to ask alexander about his version of the gambler and take him take him out for karaoke and buy him a drink and have him (laughs) have him sing the gambler oh man well we got a holiday specials coming up maybe we can do a karaoke uh maybe we should do i think we should he should he should dress up and and uh, dress up as the gambler. You should dress up as the gambler this Halloween, this Halloween. Hey, but maybe, maybe. I, and I, I don't. Is. I don't know. For those of you at home, I, I'm doing a pre-Halloween shirt. I wore a Hawaiian shirt that's got death head moths on it and uh, baskets and lotion. You know, it's just, just to celebrate Silence of the Lambs. Hell yeah! Since since everything's about cannibalism these days. Well, what can you say? You, you are what you eat, and you might as well eat someone that's sophisticated. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I hear it varies from person to person in terms of taste. <laughs> it's like uh, McDonald's, though. The more sophisticated is like the steak, and then the more not sophisticated is like eating McDonald's, I hear. <laughs> I, I, I'm probably like the White Castle version of cannibalism, yeah. where I'm just a slider. You know, you eat me, I just wreck your GI tract, you know, and you're like, oh, man, I was stoned and it was two in the morning and I had to just go out for Greg and, oh, <laughs> regret, nothing yeah. but regret. Yeah, well, you know, if you're having a ball, you're eating too fast. Exactly. <laughs> <All right. laughs> well, it's well, been a pleasure talking with you guys. Thank you for having me on. And, uh, you know, I, I just final words is sometimes you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. 
you got to know when to walk away and know when to run. But right, right, Alexander. <laughs> yes, yes. He knows all too well. When this comes out, I'm going to get a lot of people hitting me up about that. I'm sure. Please hit up Alexander to sing the gal uh, to tell you about Ghostbusters and real Ghostbusters, and then finish off with with singing the Gambler. <laughs> That's heavy. People might not be able to take that. I. Yeah. It's too much sexy in one room. <laughs> I agree. Do you have any social media or anything like that you want people to check you out at? Yes, uh, because I'm a dork. You can join me on Instagram. I am. To Red Menace, so I used ham- uh, cheeseburger speak because you know I'm all about the early 2000s. So it's T E H Red Menace. Uh, that's the Greg Talley official site. Look for uh, Damn Dirty Drive-In out on SoundCloud and iTunes and wherever podcasts are available. Uh, and uh, check me out on IMDb. It's Greg Talley. I'm Greg Talley the first. I dig. I and that's T A L L Y, not with an E in it. So it's just like adding up a score, uh, you know, tally me banana, tally whacker, tally ho. I, I'm that ho. You can just look up tally. I'm that ho. Word. Word. Thanks, guys. Well, that was a great interview with Greg Tally. Uh, we talked about a lot of cool things and his experiences and, you know, and how how you know things just keep on going from, and it's it's good to hear uh, when you have like uh, talented people that you know they 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 sometimes it takes a while. I mean, it's always great to be you know yeah you start at eighteen, start doing TV commercials and all that, but sometimes things happen later than that, yeah. and. Um, and things just seem to be uh, working for Greg. Greg is moving on up uh, in the industry. He's, you know, he's producing. He's he's acting in, and he's a very nice guy with a lot of talent. And it's great to see people with talent actually getting their due and getting a chance to shine. And Greg Kelly is a perfect example of that. And I, I'm I'm happy to uh, consider him a friend and also have him on the show. Tally ho! Tally ho! It was a great episode, you know what I mean? It was a lot of fun, had a lot of good discussion. Greg was a good dude. I like him. Looking forward to having him back on the show. And uh, with that being said, you know, we'll wrap it up. Anybody out there listening, uh, it is October now. You'll be hearing this uh, in October. So a couple weeks from now, you'll be getting that Boombastics Horrorween special coming to your ass. Uh, to be found on the Boombastic Media YouTube page. We'll have a nice extravaganza video format, including a lot of the folks from the Boombastic Media family. All the shows across the board, we kind of get together for this big twice a year, for Halloween and for Christmas. And we get the gang, the full gang together, and we do nice interviews with guests. We bring in some guests. We talk about some fun Halloween and Christmas things, and we just have a Boombastic Blast. So if you all uh, are interested in that, then mark your calendars. October 30th, I believe it's dropping that night, the night before Halloween. So if you've got to take your kids out on that joyous, toyous, candy-wandering spree, you'll be able to have the night before to get down with the BBC Horween. It's a candy land! And, of course, if you like this episode, you got to go check out more episodes wherever you heard this. Um, uh, where, wherever. There's so many different places that 
you can go get the Boombasticast nowadays. And believe it or not, we found out recently, I think we're 123 uh, in the entertainment in Canada on some entertainment poll. So that was pretty good. Out of 200, we actually made it. So, hey, all the Canadian uh, fans out there, listening listeners, much love and keep on listening. You know what I mean? That's good to hear. Okay. Uh, like I said, go check out more episodes. We always got more episodes coming. Uh, Boombastic Media YouTube page. You want to be there. You, you should be going there to watch the interviews because a video interview is way better than an audio interview if you're going to watch it. But if you're going to listen, just listen to the audio. Audio has extended cut episodes, too, where you'll hear a little more of some of the interviews that didn't make the video cut, you know, due to our contracts with. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Contract uh, with the editor of the uh, videos. With the, with the editor. Yeah. Yes. yes. So he, also he, he's a troublesome guy. Also, we're also pushing boombastic streaming on Patreon. That's our Patreon page. If anybody's out there looking to support and just the, the littlest way or the biggest way that they can, uh, you sign up with us mainly for monthly type deal starting at five bucks. You get some cool perks with that. Then we have a 10 and a 20. The perks get more glorious as they go on. And uh, if anybody out there is looking to support, I always, I always get people saying, hey, how can I support? I also get people saying, how can I check out? Where can I go digitally watch your movies? And the answer is there. Uh, for the video perk, <clears throat> that's $10 for the month. Gets you all the videos, which is mainly probably what you're looking to find. Plus, you know, vaulted stuff, stuff, you know, that uh, Boombastic fans would really get down with some of that stuff. That's kind of the history of Boombastic in there. And we got some cool exclusives that only go there. So we're kind of letting people know about that now before it's too late and the world consumes everybody. Um, get in with Boombastic and we'll catch y'all on the next episode of the Boombastic cast. Peace. Peace. Boom.